0: great to be in the house of the Lord today, and we can already feel his presence and his spirit is here. Let's go ahead and bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much, dear Lord, for this day. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and to gather in your house. God, I pray that you would be with us as we are here. God, I pray that you would be with the ones that are viewing and watching us on Facebook right now. God, I pray that your spirit will just simply encompass us. And God, that you would transform our lives to renewing, to the renewing of you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I'd like to invite those ones that are here to go ahead and stand for praise and worship this morning.
1: shall come Live shout up. the feet of Jesus this morning, sorry. But as we're singing this song, you hear the words, sing loud, sing heavy, just let your heart ring out for the love of Christ be, that we're here this morning, that we're able to come here. So we're opening up the altars, that you can come here and just give it all to Him. All your burdens, all the pain, all the issues that we've been facing in this world, God knows all about it, He knows what we're facing. So listen to the words. And if you mean it, sing loud. to wait Jesus is calling risen bow down before As you wait for the crown, tell the world of the treasure you found.
0: As we come to the altar, we bow before God physically, spiritually. We humble ourselves before Him. We call out to Him as our Lord and as our Savior. And we ask Him for His healing touch, for His touch of comfort, for His touch of strength, for His understanding. We call out for Him in our moments and times of darkness, for the light that He gives that shines in the darkness and the darkness runs because of who he is. The darkness tries to hide because of him. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today and for being with us and meeting here with us today. God, I pray, dear Lord, that your spirit will continue to guide and to direct us today. God, that your words would ring true today in our hearts and our lives. And God, that yes, that we have finally been able to come back into your house. God, I pray that you would transform us. God, I pray that today that we will leave from here stronger than whenever we came in. God, that we would leave from here today with a better understanding of who you are and what you have for us today. Because you are the transforming God. You are the God of peace, the God of love, the God of mercy, the God that pours out grace upon us all. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you today. In Jesus' holy and blessed name, amen. I'd like to thank everyone for coming in this morning. It's been a beautiful day already. We have experienced the grace of God, and we've experienced His presence with us. Today, I want to go, and I would like to say that I have prepared for this message for several years or for a lengthy time, but I'm going to be honest with you, and I've actually prepared for this message for like three weeks, but I think it's awesome. I think the timing of this is right on for us. I uh, I had a, a lady from the church that sent me a video this week that I listened to. And in that video, it was talking about ministers and who is a minister. It's funny because the message today is kind of along that same way. Today, we're going to talk about the good shepherd. And if we look into the scripture, the scripture gives us and tells us that there are different shepherds. So as I struggled with the title for this week, I kept wanting to say, uh, you know, a good shepherd. But the scripture says the good shepherd. So how do we work this? So in looking and seeing this, we go in and we look at the Old Testament. In Psalms chapter chapter 23, verse 1, it says that, uh, you know, Maybe if I read it for you, that might work out. So, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need or all I want. God has been talked about and notified throughout the Old Testament and throughout Scripture as far as being a shepherd. So whenever we look at the passage of Scripture for this week, which is John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18, we will find the title of that being The Good Shepherd. So this is Jesus Christ is being The Good Shepherd, or He is The Good Shepherd. But whenever we look at John chapter 20, John chapter 20, Jesus talks to the disciples in that first morning that he is up and he meets them in the, in the room behind locked doors. He says, as the father has sent me, I send you. So if, you know, so if God sent Jesus to be the good shepherd and Jesus is sending us to do what God, you know, to do what he had been sent to do, then we would be good shepherds as well, right? We would be good ministers or we would have this circle of influence that is in our life that we have the ability or we have the opportunity to be able to show them Jesus Christ. For you that are parents, you have children that you are able to shepherd. And God says, these are the ones that I have given to you. To shepherd and to lead, they know your voice and they know your name. Just thought about this. How many of you know Jerry Cloward? The comedian, Jerry Cloward, y'all know him? He tells this story about going coon hunting. And he says that he walked out one afternoon or one evening and he was getting ready to go coon hunting. And he called for his dogs underneath the porch and he goes, whoo And those dogs came out from underneath that porch and started barking. And he goes, whoo, whoo. And his neighbor down the street calls back to him, whoo. And they said, what that meant was that we're going to meet halfway and we're going to go hunting. And he said, You should have heard those dogs, man. They were, they were excited, they were going hunting, but they knew each other. There's this certain call that they were able to do, and they heard that response. I know that cell phones nowadays tell you who's calling. But you remember whenever you had the landline and you would pick up the phone, by the second or third word that they said, you knew who they were by their voice. I had a friend, just like Jerry Cloward, that was down the street. All I had to do was step out my door and go, whoo, whoo, whoo! And if I heard that back, I knew he was out in the backyard and it was time for us to go play. We knew each other. See, as a good shepherd, he knows us, and we should know him. We should know him by his voice. But as I think about this, and I think about where we are, and the time that we are living in today, with this virus and all the things that's going on, I know for me, I have changed. I used to always see people walking around with masks on their face, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Well, I want you to know my wife made one so that I can wear it today, and I've been wearing it, but I'm not going to wear it while I'm preaching. We're changing. Things are different. I think back to another time that was really different for the church. And whenever I think back to that, I have to go back to 9-11 and I think back to that day, and I think back to that Sunday after 9-11. There were more people in the church that Sunday after 9-11 than there had been in the church for the 10, for the 10 previous years. I mean, churches were blowing numbers out of, the, you know, their numbers you know, were higher than they had ever been. The next Sunday, the numbers were a little bit lower. Whenever you go a month out or two months out from 9-11, there were less people in church after, at that point in time than there were before 9-11. And I know as far as me growing up and as I was studying to be in ministry and how much I wanted to have my own church and wanted to be able to be involved in ministering to the people that was coming into the church in that time. It hurt me so because we put so many regulations on those new people coming into church that we lost more people than actually came to visit the church after that. I want you to kind of picture this and understand there were people at that point in time that was searching for something. They were searching for an answer. We had just been hit with something that we had never experienced before. We are entering into a time that we have never experienced before. We are not dealing, we are dealing with social distancing. That's why if you were in the church sanctuary now, you would see caution tape every other row to make sure that we stayed six feet apart. In between the services this morning, we cleaned all door handles. We cleaned the back of all the pews, you know, so that whenever the next group came in, that, they were, that everything was sanitized and ready to go for that next service. Things are changing. People are searching for things. There is chaos that's out there in this world. And they need something to hold on to. Psalms chapter 20 says that I am the shepherd. And if you trust in me and believe in me, that I will give you all that you need. All your struggles, I'll give you the answers for them. All your hurts and all that, I will give you the strength that you need through those. Think about it. I'll even go to the pastors. Let's think about it. I have never streamed a message online until this happened. I have seen more preachers or more pastors on, the, on Facebook during the week doing midweek Bible studies than ever before. There are people out there searching. Whenever we're able to come back into the church, what are we going to do? Are we going to love them? Are we going to demand that they act like Christians are supposed to act? Now, you all know, I don't, don't shake your head. There is a way that Christians act. We're supposed to be different, right? Okay, I'm on my soapbox. I'm going to get off of it. Let's get into the passage of Scripture. Scripture. Because what I want to do is I want to actually go to chapter 9. I know I told you to go to chapter 10. I want you to go to chapter 9 because chapter 9 sets up chapter 10. So I'm going to use chapter 9 to set the stage for the message this morning. Whenever we look at chapter 9 and we go just simply right there to verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, the disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins or because his parents' sins? Listen to Jesus' answer. He says it's not because of the sin of his parents or his. Jesus answered, this happened so that the Son of God or so that the power of God could be seen in him. Some of the translations say that so that the glory of God would be able to be seen. So the reason why this man was healed from his blindness was so that the power of God or the glory of God would be able to be seen. Don't know about you, but if we continue to go in there, we see that Jesus spit in the dirt and made mud. And then he took that mud And he put it on the guy's eyes. There again, don't know about you, but as soon as that mud touched my eyes, I would have been gagging and heading for the water. Jesus wouldn't have had to tell me to go wash that off. I just can't handle it. I can't handle spit. How many of you, your mom, would lick her thumb and then wipe something off your face? Oh man, that is so disgusting, isn't it? Man. Talk about social distancing. Let's put spit on something. We have problems with it. But Jesus healed him. So he goes and he washes and he comes back and he's healed. Right? So we see this. Now experience this or try to imagine this in your mind. You've been blind all of your life. There's not been a day that you have seen light. And now all of a sudden you're healed and you can see light. You come and you see your friends and you tell your friends, look, I can see. Jesus healed me. He put the mud on my eyes. He told me to go wash and he healed me. And they're like, no, wait a minute. You look like the guy that was here begging, but I don't know if that's you or not. I don't think you're the same person. You look like him, but I'm not really sure that's who he is. How many of you, whenever you first received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that your friends said, no, you're, all the, you're the same person? How many times have you tried to witness to your family or to your friends and like, you know, I know who you are. I know your past. Jesus set this man free. This man was blind and now he can see. We as sinners, we are sin, we are blind to this world and we see and we're blind to Christ and what he has for us. And whenever we receive him, does the church come to us and say, yeah, but you can't do that. Remember what you used to do? I've been a Christian for 50 years and I just got to do that last week. What do you mean? You've been a Christian for two weeks? You've been a Christian for a year and now you want to do this? We're putting restrictions on the lost people that Jesus Christ wants to free from their sins and from their burdens. And as a church, we put more burdens on them. That's exactly what the scripture says. The Pharisees made it so hard for him to receive the gift that Jesus Christ had given to him. If we continue on and we see this, whenever they finally find out that Jesus is the one that healed him, they then take him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees question him and ask him all this stuff about it. And then whenever they don't get the right answer from him, they then go to their parent, to his parents. And we find that his parents come to him and say, come to the Pharisees and they say, you know, we know that this is our son. We know that he was born blind. We don't know why he can see. We don't know who touched him. We don't know who healed him. We don't know any of that. You need to go and talk to him because he is old enough to do it on his own. They washed their hands of it. Why did they wash their hands of it? Because they were afraid of the religious leaders. Why were they afraid of the religious leaders? Because if they confessed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, they would get kicked out of the synagogue. I know that there are some people in the church today that do so much work and stuff, you know, that they are ready to be kicked out of the church so that they don't have all the responsibilities. But most of us want to come to church. Most of us want to be able to have the relationship and be able to communicate with like-minded people that come into the church. But for them, we've got to understand this, God was only in the temple. He was only in the synagogue. They weren't able to worship Him at home. God was in the Holy of Holies. So for them to be kicked out of the temple meant that they couldn't worship God. So this was something that they were worried about. But this is something that the religious leaders held over them. They're like, if you're not going to be bound by the law, by the law of Moses, then you're not going to be able to worship in this temple if you don't do things the certain way, if you don't do it the way that we tell you to do it. That's like us looking at someone that's a new Christian and forcing them to go through the struggles and the burdens that we went through as Christians. That's like us coming to someone that doesn't have an issue with smoking, and we try to help them get rid of the, you know, the the addiction of smoking. It doesn't work. That's like if you have somebody that's an alcoholic, and you tell them that you need to go to you know to AA. Is it three A's? A A A. Alcohol. It's just two A's. Alcohols Anonymous. As you can tell, I haven't been there. But you know, let's say that I took someone. That doesn't, have, you know, that doesn't have an addiction to alcohol. And I make them go there. We're forcing them to be a Christian. In the same way that we have been a Christian. We are forcing them to walk the same steps that we walk. Jesus Christ comes to each and every one of us different. He communicates to each and every one of us different. We cannot say that there is a cookie cutter pattern to being a Christian. Now. I was born and raised Southern Baptist down in Louisiana, and we didn't raise our handkerchiefs and shout, and we didn't jump, the, you know, run the aisles or anything like that, and, you know, so what I'm going to say, you might find it a little offensive, and I don't mean it to be that way. I went to a Pentecostal church with one of my girlfriends, and they started speaking in Tongues really freaked me out. A teenager standing there and all of a sudden they start speaking in tongues. I was like, wow, never heard this before. Now, I don't have a problem with speaking in tongues. I don't. If God touches you and the Holy Spirit moves in your life and creates a language in between you and him, that is great. But whenever the Pentecostal movement began to say that you had to speak in tongues as having evidence of the Holy Spirit living in your life. They began to dictate to people on how they had to be saved. And according to the scripture, the only thing that it says that you have to do to be saved is to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and to follow His commands. That is absolutely all it does. It does not say that I have to speak in tongues. It doesn't say that I have to be washed in the blood. It doesn't say that I have to be full of the fire. It says that I have to believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and follow His commands. There should be amens ringing out across this all over the place. But we force people to do church the way that we want them to do church. We will do exactly the same thing that happened in 9-11. If we do not allow the loss to come into God's house and just simply be loved. And to be able to find Jesus Christ, the one that provides for them, the one that protects them, and the one that gives them everlasting life. If we have people that come into the church and then we begin to demand things on them, we'll run them away. The Pharisees did it. That is exactly what the Pharisees were doing here in chapter 9 and the religious leaders. They were making it so difficult for Jesus Christ to free this man from his bondage. His bondage was a physical blindness, but his bondage was being blind to Jesus Christ and to the movement that God had for him. Jesus is the Messiah of the world. He is the Savior that came to save us. We go to chapter 10. Let's move into John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, we're going to begin with verse 11. John chapter 10, verse 11. Because see, this is about the good shepherd. But the good shepherd was told to us, Because of what happened to the blind man in chapter 9, it says, I am the good shepherd. The The good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming, he will abandon the sheep because they do not belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so a wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he works only for money and doesn't really care about the sheep. In verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as a father who knows me, I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too. That are not in this fold or sheep's fold, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and they will be my flock or one flock with one shepherd. See, Jesus is to bring the flocks together. There's two flocks, and we know at this point in time in history that the Israelites was one flock, the chosen people. And the others were the general, were were the Gentiles, the barbarians, or uh, you know us, the lost. He says those two will become one flock, and they will follow one shepherd, and that shepherd is Him but for us we need to see this and i want you to remember go back into the old testament because the old testament tells us and shows us that you know that as god was the shepherd for the people in the old testament that he also used other people moses was a shepherd joshua was a shepherd king david was a shepherd you have elijah was a shepherd All the prophets that came after those, they were shepherds to God's people. They led God's people. And then let's go and let's understand this and pull this into us. As a teenager, I was told by my youth leaders and I I was told by elders in the church that there are people that are looking to you and following you. That's exactly what a shepherd and what sheep do, right? They follow the shepherd. We are shepherds, but we need to be a good shepherd. So I ask today, how are you shepherding? Are you shepherding well or not? Look into this. John chapter 10, beginning with verse 11, it gives us four ways that Jesus shows us a good shepherd. Before I go into that, I want to go back to one of my sayings. and One of my favorite things is is that if you go into Matthew, when you look at Matthew chapter 5, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus goes up on the side of the Mountain of Olives and then he tells them or he teaches them how a Christian is supposed to live through chapters 5, 6, and 7. And then in chapter 8, he comes down off of that mountain and he begins to do what he taught in chapters 5, 6, and 7. Now, did I dirty up the water for you? In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is, is that Jesus throughout his life was teaching us how we are supposed to live. And if he is teaching us how we are supposed to live and he gives us this uh, you know, story about the good shepherd, then he is trying to help us and show us what it looks like for us to be a good shepherd. So what are the four things that we are or that a good shepherd is supposed to do? The first thing that a good shepherd is supposed to do, if we look back up into verses 10, into verse ten, it says that the th- the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them riches and a satisfying life. So the first thing that a good shepherd does is that a good shepherd looks uh, looks after the flock. The good shepherd doesn't go and eat the good food and then leave the sheep the remainings. The good shepherd doesn't go and take the meat or take the best part of the watermelon. I just thought about that. How many of you have ever just eaten the heart out of a watermelon? Raise your hand. I did it. I got into a lot of trouble one day because there was this beautiful watermelon, half of a watermelon sitting in the refrigerator. And I came in and I ate the whole heart out of that watermelon. And my dad came in that afternoon and his mouth, I can imagine his mouth was just watering because he thought about that watermelon all day as he worked out in the hot sun. And he looks into the refrigerator and there was nothing left there except for the edge where all the seeds were. I had taken the best part. A good shepherd doesn't do that. A good shepherd makes sure that his sheep get the best parts, that his sheep get the best of everything. So, as we look at this, as the people that God has placed before us, we need to be last. As the pastor here at this church, whenever we have, uh, you know, fundraiser, not fundraisers, but whenever we have potluck dinners, I really miss the potluck dinners. I really do. You know, whenever we had potluck dinners, I always made sure that I was last. And it's not so that I look good, but it's so that the flock understands that they get the best. The flock gets the best. And God will take care of me. See, as good shepherds, we need to make sure that we put forth or we put the sheep in front of us. The next thing that we see that Jesus tells us as far as what a good shepherd does or what, it's, what a good shepherd is. We have to see this, that a good shepherd is concerned with the safety of the flock. The good shepherd is concerned with the safety of the flock. As a minister, as your pastor, or as the shepherd of this church, my responsibility to you is to teach you and to equip you on how to be a Christian and how to live in this world. And by me teaching you and equipping you to go out and to spread the gospel, I am giving you all the tools that you need to strengthen you so that whenever you're out there in the wilderness, that you are strong and that you can stand firm on the word of God because I I have taught you what you need to know. I am supposed to help you to see and I am supposed to protect you. I protect you by giving you God's word. I protect you by loving you. I protect you by giving you a safe place to come to. The house of God. I protect you by being able to talk with you and you knowing that if there's a conversation that you have with me, that it stays with me. The good shepherd needs to make sure that his sheep are protected. The third thing that we see from Jesus here is that a good shepherd knows his flock, and his flock knows him. In other words, the life that I live out of this church is just, if not more important than the life that I live inside the church. Because if I am only a shepherd inside this building and I go out into the world and I live in the world, then I am not showing them what needs to be done. They don't know me. They have to be able to know me here and there. I have to be the same. But what that also does, it also gives us the responsibility as a shepherd, I need to find out about my sheep. I need to ask them questions. I remember I have a daughter. And my two boys will tell me that my daughter is the favorite. But I know that as Crystal grew up in her teenage years, that she did not want to talk to me. She did not want to confide in me. I literally had to force her so that I knew what she was going through. So let's take that and let's say that as me, as the shepherd of this church, I have to talk to each one of you to be able to know what you're experiencing, to be able to know what your struggles are, to be able to know how to help you. Part of a shepherd's responsibility is to know his sheep. And in knowing his sheep, they know him. Scripture says that they heard his voice and they knew his voice and they responded to his voice. They followed his voice. I remember hearing this story. There was this district superintendent and he was riding with one of his uh, you know ministers as they were going across this countryside to visit one of their members that had been sick. And as they're going down, you know, going through this countryside, there was a lot of sheep, herds of sheep in the pastures. And this, uh, you know, this one pastor was sitting there and he was watching them as they went by. And all of a sudden, he slammed on his brakes and he jumps out of the car. And the district superintendent kept hollering at him, saying, Hey, we have to go here. We have to meet this guy. We have to talk to this guy and minister to him. And he goes running out across this field. And he notices that there's a sheep that's laying down. And he goes over there and he gets to that sheep. And he literally had to cut the stomach open of that sheep. Because it was having difficulty in giving birth. And that sheep would have died if he wouldn't have noticed it. If you don't know your sheep. You will not notice that they're hurting. And you will not be able to respond in time of their needs. We have to know our sheep. You have to know the people that God has placed in your, in, your, in your view that are following you. You have to know your children. You have to know your friends that you have to be able to minister to them. You have to know them. And the last thing that Jesus brings to us is that a good shepherd has to be willing to lay his life down. Jesus sacrificed his life. But see, Jesus sacrificed his life for the world. Remember, there's two flocks that needs to become one. Jesus sacrificed his life for every single person. The ones that will receive him as Lord and Savior and the ones that won't. He loves them both the same. He didn't die just for the ones that are in church. He died for the ones that are outside of the church. And that takes me to this. We have the parable of Jesus and the sheep. Remember, Jesus said, the parable says that he left the 99 to go for the one. He left the 99 that were in church. He left the 99 that were sitting in the pen to go out for that one. That shows us the passion of the shepherd. The passion of the shepherd is for the lost. The passion for the shepherd are for those that are outside of the flock. The passion for us as the church, the passion for us should be for the lost, for the ones that are outside of the church, for the ones that are lost, the ones that are dying, the ones that are in darkness and that don't even know it, the ones that needs love and they don't understand that the love that Jesus Christ gives them is a different love than what this world gives for them. Whoo! Man, he loves us. He died for us before we even knew him. He was searching for me before I knew about him. He is the one that loves me whenever I didn't love him. That is his passion. The passion for us as his sheep should be the lost, not the ones that's in the church. We should be going out to the world for they are lost and dying His passion should be our passion. His sight should be our sight. His ears should be our ears. We should hear the cries of the lost. We should see their pain and their hurt. And as the good shepherd, we should go to them. But we shouldn't go to them and demand that they act the way that we act. We should go to them and love them and allow them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ because that relationship is what saves them, not us. It's the relationship with Jesus Christ. The good shepherd, Jesus Christ, is searching for you those that's out there in this world that's struggling with the loneliness, that's struggling with the chaos of, of this COVID-19, those that are not handling sitting at home or having safe distances, he's there for you to comfort you, to give you peace, to give you his grace and his love and his mercy, to give you the abundance of who he is. He's the good shepherd. He's asking us to be his hands and his feet. He's asking us to love the world as he loves the world. So how well are you shepherding today? Are you shepherding well? Or is there areas in your life that you need to work on? Today is that day. He is here for you. The good shepherd is here for you. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you, dear Lord, so much for this day. We thank you for this time that you have given to us. God, we thank you and we praise you. God, we thank you for being our shepherd. And God, I pray that your passion would burn bright and burn strong within our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand for benediction. As you're standing for benediction, I wanna let you know that there's a box that's in the, that's, there's boxes that's in the uh, foyer uh, for you to put your offering in. So if you could do that for us, just simply as you walk out, uh, you know, put the offering in there. our heads for the benediction. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for today. God, I thank you for the message that you have given to us. God, I pray that your face would shine upon us. And God, that your blessings from heaven will be poured out upon each one that is here. In Jesus' name, amen.